Coming up on this In Contra special, Merriam-Webster's Emily Brewster and Peter Sokolowski. I'm Ilan Stavans, and In Contrast is a production of New England Public Radio and Quixote Productions. Since 2003, Merriam-Webster has annually published a list of 10 English-language words of the year. It's a look at the past year through the prism of vocabulary. The words of the year reflect what has occurred over the past 12 months and says something about our times and what people are thinking about. To talk about Merriam-Webster's words of 2018, I'm joined by Emily Brewster and Peter Sokolowski. Peter Sokolowski is the editor-at-large at Merriam-Webster. He is the author of many definitions for Merriam-Webster dictionaries. He is an active blogger, podcaster, and speaker on language. He served as an announcer for Spelling Bees worldwide and was named among Time Magazine's 140 Best Twitter Feeds of 2013. Emily Brewster is an associate editor and lexicographer at Merriam-Webster. She has worked on all the company's major dictionaries, addressing vocabulary ranging from prepositions to politics to slang. In addition to defining, she regularly writes about grammar, usage, and language change. This is the time of year when we do wrap-ups. We figure out what was the most significant aspect in the year, and we're going to do that on language. We're going to figure out what was the most significant or maybe the most looked word in the dictionary. Peter, what was that? Merriam-Webster's word of the year for 2018 is justice which was the word that had more lookups in 2018 compared to 2017. So we looked at year-over-year increases. The curiosity about this word, which is a word that was under the surface of so many different stories, whether it was racial justice or social justice or criminal justice, economic justice, lots of stories touch upon this. And, of course, there are other and interesting uses of this word. It's a word with several meanings. It's also the title of a judge, for example. And so what we found was this was just under the surface of not only these stories but also our own data. What we saw was that this was a word that never rose to the top position, the number one position, but from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, it rose very significantly and stayed high all year long. And what is the actual definition, Emily? Well, as you might guess, this word has multiple meanings, so I'm going to highlight just a few of them. One really important meaning, critical meaning, meaning that was drawn upon throughout the year is the maintenance or administration of what is just, especially by the impartial adjustment of conflicting claims or the assignment of merited rewards or punishments. That's the use in phrases when we talk about meeting out justice. It also means the establishment or determination of rights according to the rules of law or equity, like when we talk about a system of justice. And then it also means just the quality of being just, impartial, or fair in questioning the justice of a decision. Peter, you were talking about how this might not be the word that was the most popular, but that was consistently looked up Mm -hmm. in the dictionary. Is it possible to say that it was looked up at particular times more than others, say when candidate for justice in the Supreme Court is being reappointed? (laughs) 
It did show certain spikes through the year. They weren't connected in the single-story way that we see with other words that we will also talk about. What we did see was that this is a word that spiked during moments of the year. For example, the phrase obstruction of justice. It's a very particular use of that phrase. We actually do enter obstruction of justice also in the dictionary. But on the 1st of August, for example, President Trump tweeted, that he wanted the attorney general to stop the Mueller investigation. And that phrase and that term spiked on that day. So we can key this curiosity to the news stories. I always say we're good at reading data. We're not good at reading minds. We can't always know why people go to the dictionary, but we can certainly make these correlations. There are a few others that are interesting during these kinds of discussions. Certainly, we could see, for example, more general use, a flight from justice, which was not particular to the Justice Department or to the president or anything. But there was, for example, a story of the arrest of a Nazi prison guard in New York. And there was a lot of interest at that time about that story. And there are also kind of funny sort of showbiz things. For example, Madonna was giving a tribute to Aretha Franklin. And she said, I can't do justice. So again, another use of the word, a different use of the word. We can't identify any one of these as being the sort of tentpole, the single use that sent this word higher than last year. What we see when we overlaid the graphics of 2017 to 2018 was that it was all year long. And so that makes us think that in this sense, we're talking about something that is broader in the culture, broader in the language. A lot of the words of the year that we've had have been abstract words, democracy, integrity, pragmatic, these are the kinds of words that are really hard to wrap your head around, and they do require definition. And frankly, this is a hard word for us to define, too. You know, this is not just difficult for the general public. And so what we see is those are the kinds of words that are kind of a bigger umbrella, that have a, a much broader reach, that also send people to the dictionary. It is often when a word that seems to be common, like this one, is suddenly specific or technical or legal. That's when people look it up in the dictionary. I want to go deeper into that behavior, Emily, because all of us know what justice means. So what is really prompting anybody to open the dictionary in the middle of the year and look up a word that we should know? Is it that the definition of the word has shifted or that we now have doubts about the understanding that we have about that word? I think it's all of those things. Anytime we hear a common word used in a different way, in a way that we are not used to, we turn to the dictionary. We turn to the dictionary to see if use we are hearing is correct, if it's established or if it's not, or if there's more nuance to the word than we had thought that there was. Criminal justice was a phrase that uses the word justice that was in the news throughout the year. And that's different than another phrase that was used throughout the year, Department of Justice, mm -hmm. uh, which in President Trump's tweets is often shortened to just justice. So we have the word justice appearing in these different contexts. How is criminal justice related to the Department of Justice? What does that have to do with a flight from justice or with doing someone justice? So when we hear this word used in all these different kinds of contexts, it raises questions about our own understanding of the word. And we want to go to a dictionary to confirm or to gain better understanding of how it's being used. Peter, fair to say that we are this year obsessed with justice because we're looking it up so much in the dictionary? I think it is fair to say that. What this indicates is that this is on our minds. Mm -hmm. Again, underlying many of the stories that may not have this word as the headline, but maybe the most important thrust of the general idea. And that is a fascinating thing to view. What are we thinking about? We can sometimes measure what we're thinking about 
according to what we're curious about, curious enough to go and look up a word in the dictionary. And that does tell me something about the past year. We do seem to have had this on our minds. Emily, who looks up a word in the dictionary? What prompts someone to actually go and open the dictionary or check the word out online? I don't think we can really definitively answer that question. Of course, we don't know what people are looking up in a paper dictionary. We are not spying on anyone. What we know is what pages on our website are looked at and what people put into their little search bar. We don't know who those individuals are. What we see are spikes for certain words at different times. At the beginning of a school year, for example, we will see these increases in lookups of particular words that have to do with words that students are encountering in the names of courses, for example. So we can make some educated guesses about why people are looking words up. But as for why a particular individual does, we don't necessarily know. We do know also that people respond to words that they see in headlines and words that they encounter in social media. And we know that when a, an unusual word is used by an opinion writer, for example, that word will be looked up online. And so we assume that people are, have encountered this word and they want to know more about it. We have also the 10 words that have been looked up more frequently. I don't know if that is the way to put it or more consistently or maybe in different moments of the year. What's the first one, Peter? We begin with nationalism, and that will surprise no one probably because this is a word that's been in the news, not just recently, but also the whole year long. But it did have a very particular spike. It was a rally in Texas in October when President Trump said, I'm a nationalist. And he declared that in a very proud way. Needless to say, that made the news. And when a prominent person uses a very particular word and emphasizes that word, he used it several times, that sends people to the dictionary. And this is a very serious word, obviously. A nationalist is one who advocates for or believes in loyalty and devotion to a nation. But it's a word that's loaded with all kinds of other connotations and denotations. And our definition reads, exalting one nation above all others and placing primary emphasis on promotion of its culture and interests as opposed to those of other nations or supranational groups. And so that does lead us to these questions about, for example, the comparison with patriotism, a love of country, as opposed to the exclusion of other countries. Well, that's one distinction that can be made. But it's also a word that's associated with political movements. And so these are serious issues on the minds of many people. But what this tells me is that people are paying attention words matter. And going back to this relationship, this parallel that you were making between nationalism and patriotism, one does get the sense that one of these words, nationalism, has a slightly negative aspect or, or more loaded aspect Absolutely. where the patriotism is one that is to be emulated yeah. or, or celebrated. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, this nuance is precisely what sends people to the dictionary. Mm. It's fascinating. We have these two words, right, that are so close in meaning and yet have these different connotations. Are not synonyms. No. Next word, Emily. Well, one of my favorites for the year that is in a completely different tenor is the word laurel. I don't know if you were <laughs> caught up in the internet furor about what we were all hearing on an audio clip. It was back in May, and this audio clip went viral because when some people listened to it, they heard the word laurel. And when other people listened to it, they heard the word Yanny. <laughs> and Yanny, we do not enter because it's a person's name, but we do enter Laurel. And so everybody came to our dictionary to find out just what's up with this word Laurel and what does the audio pronunciation sound like. And the definition for Laurel? A Laurel is a wreath that you wear around your head as a tribute when you have won something. And then it's also a plant, of course. The next word that I have is more about the news, but it's a fascinating word. The word is lodestar. 
And Lodestar is a word that was used in the anonymous New York Times op-ed that was from a member of the administration, of the Trump administration. And it sent many people to the dictionary to figure out what this word was. And then it was pointed out that this is a word that is favored in the speeches of Mike Pence, the vice president. And so people thought, well, perhaps he was the anonymous person. So there's a whole kind of forensic linguistics, which is a real field of study. But what's interesting to me is that, again, this was a real news story, that this was a, an op-ed that many, many people read. And more than that, many people commented on. And this word is not a word in the active kind of daily vocabulary of most people. And so it did stand out on its own. But then it also stood up further to kind of point some people to a potential identity of the anonymous writer. Whether that's true or not, of course, is not the issue. And lodestar is an interesting term. It means a star that guides or leads, especially the North Star, referring to the North Star. So it's interesting as a kind of rhetorical tick that Vice President Pence has or his speechwriter has. It also, again, shows you that people are paying attention. This word was in the news and it sent them right to the dictionary. Extraordinary. Emily, what comes next? The word pansexual spiked in lookups in April when a singer, Janelle Monet identified herself as pansexual in a Rolling Stone interview. And words that have to do with gender and sexuality have been a subject of great interest to our society now for a number of years. And pansexual is sort of a word that contrasts with bisexual for someone who understands gender as being non-binary. I think it's a word that's still unfamiliar to many people. Right. So while a number of the words that we have talked about are words that people know, we think they're just looking for greater nuance on it. In this case, it may have been a word that was completely unfamiliar to people, or they just really were not sure what it meant. And because the prefix pan means encompassing or various aspects of. That's right. Fascinating. Next one, Peter? <laughs> this one comes from a story that got huge amount of attention. And, you know, at the end of the year, you often refer to the famous people who've died in the past year. And the word excelsior spiked after Stan Lee died. And that was in November. And it was Stanley's motto. It was also something that he sort of used as a salutation. Apparently, in correspondence, he would write Excelsior. It's just something that he had used for decades and was closely associated with him. And it was also kind of insider information. That is to say, people who loved his comics, they knew that that was his special word. And so that word was used in social media as a kind of tribute to him. And it's an interesting word because it's just a Latin word that means higher. And it comes from the same root as excel or excellent. And it was an appropriate kind of salute to Stanley. And again, it's also kind of special language. It's not the kind of word that we use every day. And it sent people to the dictionary in that sense. We do define it as the motto of New York City also, mm -hmm. or, or the state of New York. It shows you that these Latin terms show up in our culture in kind of surprising places. And even though we might not think of Excelsior and New York at the same time. We do think of Stanley and Excelsior at the same time. And one might also think that upon his death and the curiosity that people have, the word might from now on not only belong to him, yes. but belong to others who might use it as a tribute, but also for their own vision of things. It's so interesting how language can filter itself in all sorts of ways in the way people think and the yep. way people act and the way that people love or hate or react. And he probably taught a lot of people that word. Mm. And that's terrific. The power of Latin. Emily, what comes next? Well, respect is really <laughs> along those same lines. When Aretha Franklin died in August, that word, which is one of her most enduring <laughs> popular songs, and also her rendition of that song has become an anthem of the civil rights movement and of the feminist movement. And that word, of course, was used in tributes to Aretha Franklin. Do you think, Emily, that the word respect has changed in meaning over time when we say we pay respect or I am respectful of you or of a certain phenomenon? 
Are these words that are so abstract also words that transform themselves in front of our ears and eyes? I think so, sure. This comes from the Latin word meaning the act of looking back. Mm. So respect started out being about, about a reflection of some kind. And then it came to mean having a sense of the importance and gravity of a person or thing. And now we talk about whether we've shown appropriate amount of respect for someone or, you know, I mean, no disrespect. It's a very active word in the language. It's applied in both its antonym disrespect also in all these varied contexts. It's an interesting word, I think, in that it's used by young and old alike. It has such significance in a number of different ways. Such significance. Mm. I would say it's in the granular aspect of our society. Everything we do or we don't do is about respect or lack of respect. And certainly we're going through a period where that question, who do we respect and how do we connect with that respect, is essential. It reminds me of something else, of another phenomenon, the fact that people are looking up a very common word. They were obviously motivated by that moment, in the moment of reflection on Aretha Franklin. It's also a word that it's sort of aspirational, that we like respect. This is a thing to be liked. And there are a couple other words that we see at the top of our daily lookup lists, like integrity, justice, and the word love. Hmm. And it is surprising that the word love is always near the top of the dictionary lookups, but it is. And again, these are abstract ideas. They're also aspirational. They're positive ideas. They're things that they would like for themselves and for people near them. It's really hard to understand exactly why these are the qualities that we then put into words and then show the traces of online in, in terms of our behavior. But that's just the way it is. We're in the early stages of the study of what makes a person look up a word in the dictionary because we've only been online for 20 years. Dictionaries in English have been around for 400 years. So we're still learning about what that behavior is. And this is a great example of one of the words that is looked up frequently, but not for any particular utterance. And the word love in particular is mm. so peculiar. There are so many aspects of love. You can love an animal. You can love yourself. You can love your country. You can love God. Are all of them love or are there varieties of emotions? And I assume that you can go to different dictionaries and you would get different definitions. And even within languages, you could go to a German language dictionary, which will define the word love or the word respect or the word justice in a way that is different from an English language dictionary or French language mm -hmm. dictionary. Because each culture also approaches this large values, as you were saying, Peter, in different ways. Yeah. What's the next one? This is a little bit interesting. It's also news-related, but it also connects to the entertainment industry. And often, film and television drives people to the dictionary. This is the word feckless that was used very famously by Samantha Bee in her television program. She's obviously doing a comedy show, but it's very much about the news. And she was talking about the policy of separating children at the border, the immigration policy. And she was addressing Ivanka Trump. And she said to her to do something about your dad's immigration policies and then called her a word that we won't use on the radio, but using the word feckless to modify that epithet, that obscene word. And feckless is a word that means ineffective or worthless. And it is a good intensifier of a negative term. And it's, again, maybe a little bit specific, a little bit literary almost. It's not a word that everybody uses. Again, she got a lot of attention for this use. And she later said it drew more attention than the actual thrust of her story and mm. for which she was sorry. But again, shows that people really do pay attention when you use strong words. Is there a way to study the impact that a word that is looked up with such intensity during a year has afterwards if this word feckless will now enter the daily 
parlance with more frequency than it did before. It would be interesting to figure out if such an impact would be lasting, if it would be an essential part of a regular speech. I'm sure that some people learned this word from <laughs> Samantha B. They had right. not known it. And I imagine that some people looked it up because it has these phonetic similarities to a really powerful swear word mm -hmm. that people are familiar with, and they probably wanted to know if this also was a swear word. And certainly you could look at corpora and you could look at how this word does in coming years and see if it increases in use or not. Are there any other words that we should find out about? I've got two more if okay. we've got time Please. for them. The word epiphany. We are used to seeing the word epiphany looked up in early January because it refers to a Christian festival where the Magi came to visit Jesus. But it was also looked up later in the year when a K-pop, that's a Korean pop music group, had it as the name of a song. So people were hearing the word epiphany used in a context that they didn't recognize it, mm. I think, and so they went to look up that word. What is the current definition, the popular definition of the word epiphany? Well, we think that the word in this case was functioning with its metaphorical senses having to do with like the sudden perception of the essential nature or meaning of something based on the words in the song. That's yeah, our guess. A kind of insight that one has or knowledge. That's right, or a sudden understanding that one gains through some experience. And the other one, Emily? The other one is um, not a particularly polite word, pissant. And it's a word that people do not commonly know. When this word was first used back in the 17th century, it was a dialectal term for an ant. But in January of this year, it was used by a DJ on a radio station to describe the New England Patriots quarterback's five-year-old daughter, Tom Brady's daughter. This man described her as a pissant. And when Tom Brady was next on the radio doing one of his regular interviews that he had, he uh, cut that interview off abruptly because this DJ had referred to his daughter this way. This allows me to ask you if you can give us even a brief history of how and when the dictionaries accept words that are impolite. When did dictionaries agree to be dirty? Dictionaries so to have been dirty for a long time. <laughs> Actually, it's very important that people have a neutral and authoritative source to look up impolite words. Mm. If someone calls you a mean or impolite word, a dictionary is the right resource for you to go to find out just what that insult hurled at you really was. We do not shy away from the impolite words. We don't necessarily advocate for their use. But we strongly believe that you should be able to determine the meaning of a word that is out and about in your dictionary. I want to ask you, as we're concluding this conversation, as we begin the new year, you have within the office some kind of competition of what kind of words might show up for next year. Or if you get the temperature of a moment by identifying certain words that you think will show up later on. I want to know a little bit about the atmosphere within Merriam-Webster. I think I can say that lexicographers make lousy prognosticators. <laughs> Sometimes we can sort of smell something coming. When a news story hits and we see perhaps a peculiar word that is used by a prominent person, or if a prominent person misspells a word in a tweet, for example, we know that those are words that people are going to look up in the dictionary. And it gets to one thing we do know, which is people love correcting other people, you mm -hmm. know, that people love proving somebody else is wrong, either through the spelling or the meaning of the word by comparing what they think the word means with the dictionary definition. And I think that is a powerful motivation. Hard to measure that, really, but I think it is a powerful motivation. So when someone misspeaks, when someone spells potato wrong, for example, 
or misspells a word, we do see that those words, which might be quite common words, they spike because I think people have that reflex. Whatever that reflex is, they're going to correct in a public way or just for themselves in a private way. But I am a terrible predictor of this kind of thing. I would not have predicted this word justice, for example. And I feel like I learned something from our own data this year. Mm. Emily? Lexicographers are kind of famously quiet people, so we do not have conversations that are audible necessarily. <laughs> but yes, when a word rises to prominence in the news, sometimes on our little quiet, pixelated conversations happen about particular words that are in the news and sometimes thinking, oh, no, is this going to have to be the word of the year? And then we realize, no, it doesn't. I think that was part of the discussion with nationalism this year when it spiked in November and we had all been aware that this word was really doing some heavy lifting throughout the year. I think there was a brief conversation, is this going to have to be our word of the year? But it really wasn't. It really was, was really just prominent at that one point. Let's conclude by going back to the word justice. Mm. It seems to me as a user of dictionaries and as a passionate lover of language that the word just injustice is at the very heart of what we're going through these days, not only nationally, but internationally. And it seems to me that there's an obsession. Are we seeing something reflected that our language is capable to define? Or are these words in themselves being reinvented? Well, it reminds me a little bit of those qualities that we admire, that we constantly look up. Love is the perennial one that just always sort of hits me right in the gut because it's not looked up for spelling. We're sure that people know that. They're looking up that word for something else. And again, I'm not reading people's minds, but I would say it's something like philosophy. They're using the dictionary definition perhaps as the beginning of a process of thought, of engagement with this idea. One technical problem that dictionaries have is that we define the words, not the phenomena. And that's a struggle that I think a lot of people aren't really aware of, that that's some of the hard work of writing a dictionary definition is to sort of separate this label for this idea from the idea itself. And so what we can do our best at is to define the label, the word itself. And so there is an abstraction that is already taking place before we even get the definition of the word. And that means there's a lot of mental labor going on, not just in the creation of these definitions, but in the separating of them and understanding of them. So I do think this is a great word for contemplation in a way that other words like integrity and love are. Because ultimately, what one does when opening a dictionary is expect that the definition is going to be true, mm -hmm. accurate, right, mm -hmm. that we are kind of going to a biblical text, a, a sacred text that is delivering to us what the collective message is of this particular word, just. What does just or justice, Emily, mean to you? When I think of justice, I think of fairness, and I think of the fairness of a system, systemic fairness coming from an authority. And I think we know that people are particularly interested in criminal justice reform, for example. In headlines and in articles and in written text, people are calling for justice. And so we see justice, as Peter said, being this aspirational thing also. I think the word is, it's doing a lot of work in the culture right now, and I think it's doing it well. That's just my sense as a user of the language. But I don't see people seeking out a word that's going to do a better job of what justice does. Mm -hmm. And it is an apt word in a number of different contexts. And it's a word that is doing a lot of heavy lifting. People are relying on this word. They're calling for justice. 
and they're calling for criminal justice reform, and they are wanting to see justice be done. And so in those senses, we see the word justice functioning fully. You know, we saw once that the word itself did spike four years ago, and it was regarding protests after the Eric Garner incident when a policeman was acquitted of this violent act that was captured on video. And there were even signs among the protesters with the word justice written on the signs. So we see that this is sometimes a really important word at the heart of these issues, not just a label or a legal term, but really the term that comes first to mind when they are seeking a kind of redress or acknowledgement of one of these incidents. And that's deep. That's really, really deep. I'd also like to mention, since we're kind of talking about the micro elements, the particulars, there's also kind of stepping way back to where the word came from. We just in this conversation mentioned the words true and right and fair just in the last couple of minutes. And it's true that the Anglo-Saxon words we have in English cover a lot of this territory. But justice isn't one of those. Justice came from the Norman conquerors who brought their system of laws over. And that's that word system that Emily just used, that system of laws that was imposed upon the Anglo-Saxon people in England. And that gives us all the other words of the legal system, judge, jury, arraignment, indictment. All of them come from the same language at the same time. That is to say, in the centuries immediately after the Norman conquest, this system of laws was superimposed upon whatever was already existing in England. And it's just interesting to think that unlike so many other pairs of ideas that we have with a kind of Anglo-Saxon word and a Latin word, like motherly and maternal, for example, or kingly and royal, they're kind of semantically identical, but they have slightly different usages. In this case, we don't have a semantic twin to justice. Justice is an idea that came kind of with the word. And I think that's amazing, this idea of righteousness that is associated with laws and by which we can have redress and redemption. That is sort of new. And it's interesting to me that we don't have an old English word for that thing. We have law, of course, but we don't have justice. Those are slightly different ideas. And I love the fact that English is big enough to absorb these words and let them take their own place and make their own place. Mm. There's something you said, Emily, that I love. You said that the word justice is doing some heavy lifting mm -hmm. right now and that it's doing the job well. I love the image of a lexicographer thinking that words are doing their job well. And it's because words often are not paid attention to unless you have to go to the dictionary or unless you become conscious of this. And yet words are really the essence of everything that we do. And they bring together large concepts into just a few letters shaped in the form that we have agreed that it should be shaped. And that is the message that we receive from previous generations and we'll pass it to the next. This has been extraordinary. I have loved it. And now I have to go to the dictionary. <laughs> Emily and Peter, thank you for providing the words of the year. Thanks thank so much you. for having us. Peter Sokolovsky is the editor-at-large, and Emily Brewster is an associate editor and lexicographer at Merriam-Webster. Peter is the host of Merriam-Webster's Word of the Day podcast, a two-and-a-half-minute podcast on one word. Peter provides a definition, the word's etymology, and demonstrates its usage. Word of the Day is available at merriam-webster.com and wherever you get your podcasts. You can also hear more from Peter on where the words come from, our very first In Contrast podcast from June of 2017. 
Words are the brick and mortar of our lives. Without them, we are trapped in silence. But words also have a life of their own. They are born and die, and like any other living organism, they evolve according to their own metabolism. Each epoch brings new words to the fore, and each epoch puts aside words it deems unneeded. In the Four Quartets, T.S. Eliot writes, Last year's words belong to last year's language, and next year's words await another voice. To stay current, dictionaries need to catch words in the process of becoming established. What are we saying today that we didn't dare before? Have we agreed to describe this or that item in new ways? Will that make us fashionable? Words are our partners. But they can also be our enemies if we don't understand them in full, if we ignore them, if we pretend they never change. In the coming weeks, In Contrast will feature interviews with author Andre Debuse and philosopher Martha Nussbaum. Help spread the word about In Contrast by reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, where we invite you to share your comments on this program and others in our series. And to see our in-classroom materials for educators, visit our webpage at nepr.net. Our intern is Delina Hadgu. Our music is by the Fresh Cut Orchestra. The executive producer of In Contrast is John Vosey. I'm Ilan Stavans. Thank you for listening. In Contrast is a production of New England Public Radio and Quixote Productions.